Friends in Christ, thanks for joining and being a part of this live online and if you uh, listen to it later in the recording. There's messages that are just deeper than others. And sometimes the world tries to push its philosophy or its skepticism on us. You've probably heard uh, of the name Jesse Ventura, once upon a time, the governor of Minnesota. He made a statement that will be kind of a, an opening for us today that uh, makes Christianity less than it, it really is. He said, um, organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. Hmm. So a lot of times people will say religion's all cozy and warm for people that are deluded or weak. How does that happen? That everything gets so inverted that people no longer understand where their strength is from. They're no longer connected to God. And what are the biblical answers for that? Paul is pretty clear. And when he says that our strength is in God, he's completely rewriting what the world's philosophy will be. In fact, um, no prominent atheist ever said faith in God is a crutch. They always say religion. And sometimes you do have to admit that the external part or the human side is flawed and always will be because of sinners. But faith is the true heart of religion. And religion is not a crutch for God's people. So when they say it's just a crutch, what they mean, uh, we're going to take a look at, is that they have a solution and it's human arrogance that ends up crumbling with a, a boast and then we're going to see the divine argument that stands in the gap human arrogance crumbles into a foolish boast first corinthians chapter one he'll make this statement uh, not many of you were wise by human standards, influential of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world. And that's true, isn't it? Every single time you see God function in a major way, it looks like weakness. Who does he pick of Jesse's son? The first, the tallest, the strongest? but rather David, the youngest, the smallest. And it will show uh, frequently that there are naturally opposing views uh, to nature and the, the solution that is given. In Mere Apologetics, Alistair McGrath, a writer, said, one of the most familiar criticisms of Christianity is that it offers consolation for life's losers. That's a criticism. But we would stand and say, wait a second. If somebody needs a crutch, we don't look at it as weakness. We look at it as healing, right? Sure, they're vulnerable. But you have to have that crutch or it's just going to get worse. You know that if you don't fix a broken bone, it'll fix itself in a not very good position. 
And so an agnostic kind of acknowledged this. He said, John Humphreys, don't we all need a crutch? Some use booze rather than the Bible. And it seems in, in our culture, it's okay to depend on things like material positions, money, food, the aesthetics, um, things that, like arts and other things. We depend on those. At, and maybe even more on cigarette, drugs, alcohol, things that prop us up. In fact, rather than being seen as a weakness, often these are seen as relatively normal. But that too is inverted. McGrath will go on and say, the Christian understanding of human nature is that we are damaged, wounded, and disabled by sin. That's just the way things are. So Augustine of Hippo in the 4th century AD, a powerful writer who himself was once opposed to Christ, flipped, and became a follower. He said that the, the church is like a hospital. And as in the case of any illness, the healing cannot begin until somebody admits that they need a doctor, that they need help. So deriders of Christianity often uh, say that uh, we who depend on the Lord um, are wish fulfillment seekers. We have a wish and we're just kind of uh, hoping that it happens. The, the origin is kind of important because really this was not a view that was strong in the older cultures. Um, it became something of a, a more modern movement uh, following of all people, Sigmund Freud. The 1850s, uh, he's the one that looked uh, at the world and said, we don't need God anymore because we've discovered the origin of things. And that uh, then became uh, kind of uh, a wish fulfillment of his. Maybe he didn't need a father figure, a God figure. Maybe he uh, wished that hell wasn't real and that sin didn't infect us. Maybe his was a wish fulfillment to try to wipe all that stuff away. In fact, Frode would write, uh, religious beliefs are illusions, fulfillments of the oldest, strongest, and most urgent wishes of mankind. So the world out there has its own version, doesn't it? Its own explanation. Uh, Robert Piercig, uh, an American writer and philosopher who followed in Freud's footsteps, would say it this way, when one person suffers a delusion, it's called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it's called religion. So how do we stand in there? How do we defend against this? Well, the very first thing is to understand that uh, followers of Christ don't um, just fall into this wish fulfillment uh, thinking as though they're in a digital other world, like they just leave this world and go elsewhere. In fact, they have to deal with one of the major issues of the Old Testament is that God is holy. God is real. God is actually just. And, and that isn't something that the wish fulfillment crowd would make up. You, you would set it aside. You would somehow find a way of, 
of reducing God's holiness instead of the demand 100% perfection. You see, the holiness of God stands opposed to us who are sinners, all of us, and we're in trouble with God. So the argument that somehow we're trying to get the easy street doesn't work. Then there are all the testimonies of the enemy of God that turn and become his followers. And there are multitudes of people like that. You think of, in the scripture, the very writer of our text, the Apostle Paul. He was on his way to Damascus to rip apart the Christian community, and Jesus turned him into a follower. Not an easy thing, because he collapsed and had to face his own weaknesses. It was C.S. Lewis who claimed to be the most reluctant convert. He said it this way, um, there is no more reluctant con convert in all of England than me. I was literally dragged kicking and screaming into the faith, which is hardly a statement one would expect from a person engaged in wish fulfillment fantasies. So what are the arguments of Scripture? There are three that I want you to remember here. The divine fingerprint, the divine presence, and the divine selection. The divine fingerprint. Everything has got God's signature on it, all of creation. In fact, Augustine would write, it shows up most in the human being, that you have made, your, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and we are never complete until we find our rest in you. A famous quote because there's a hole in our heart that can only be filled by God. And in fact, uh, the Bible says that God created and designed mankind for relationship with him. Then there's that presence, the incarnation of God, where um, he says again, uh, we may ignore, we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. And, and that shows up, whether it's in the stars or in our own uh, design. God is everywhere in everything, but most visible in his son Jesus. Yeah, by nature we're enemies of God. He'll say that in Romans. But he has come to rescue the enemies. He has come to change those who were against him. And that is exactly what grace means is that God instead of destroying he recommits himself he takes the role of redeemer he buys back from slavery to sin and then the divine selection which would be righteousness from Jesus it's our covering it's how we face our problems is not with our own strength but with the covering of Christ with a perfect life that's not ours. And it, it's attributed to us through him. And in fact, Jesus himself will say, in this world you have trouble, but take courage because I have overcome the world. So what makes our faith attractive is not the chilling truth. Mm -mm. It is the warmth of his care. It is 
care, concern, and help for his creation where he will say, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Healing. Now I want to just make sure that you understand the divine argument because the world is, is uh, very convincing and they just keep pushing the same things from science. The divine argument actually collects at the cross. And I'm going to take you to another passage in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul will say, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It was a thorn. A thorn in his side, you might say. And there is an old uh, fable in the Greek mythology. Androcles was a slave that had run away. And as he was moving through, trying to hide and move from town to town, he came into an open area and there, uh, rather close to a full-grown male lion. It scared him, and he froze. Being that close, he was sure he was going to be eaten. But then the grimace on the face of the lion said, something else is happening. He noticed that uh, the lion tried to move forward and limped. He came closer, and he began to talk to the lion and said, are you hurt? The lion had such a look on his face that uh, then made him hold his paw out and Androcles realized he had a thorn that was buried in his paw. And very bravely, he would move towards the lion instead of away from him and he pulled the thorn and the lion nuzzled him. The story doesn't end there. Androcles, because he was a runaway slave, was thrown into the Colosseum. And you know what happens there. The Christians and others are torn apart by lions. When the gate came up, a lion came running out, roaring. And he stood there with surety that he was going to die until he recognized the face of the lion and the lion recognized him. And instead of eating him and charging him, the lion came over and let him pet his head. They were friends. And in that moment, uh, the owner freed Androcles. So from that, move into the reality of Paul. Paul, who had been the enemy of God, was converted, changed, turned around. And he says three times, I pled to God to take this thorn away from me. God is going to let the thorn point to grace. And God said, no, no. It's kind of uh, unusual that God will let us linger in uh, what we would call weakness. But it is his way because it is the way of faith. And it is actually our strength. He says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And the Apostle Paul would learn that when you turn to God, you're not weak. In fact, that is exactly how it has to work here. We no longer depend on ourselves or on the things of the world for our cure, for our healing. We depend on Jesus. 
we depend on God. And that reverses things completely. He lets the weakness then become the transfer uh, point for the strength of, of God. Paul writes an important phrase, for Christ's sake I delight in my weaknesses, for when I am weak then I am strong. I hope today that as you think about this, you recognize grace. It is grace that moved God to step into our world. And instead of destroy it and restarting, he redeemed it. He reconnected, and faith becomes the vehicle for the strength of God. Our faith is not in something empty, but in the word of God, the promise. It is in the care of a God that would give his own son. And if you want to see the lion who is really um, at the door, you can hear that in Scripture. Because God has all the power to do it a different way. But he chose to do it in a humble and unique way. In fact, it would be C.S. Lewis that would say, we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the, holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We don't celebrate weakness or hide our handicaps. We celebrate another's victory, the strength of God on the cross. And it's different than a crutch. A crutch holds us up and lets us work our own power. But the cross, the cross is empty. The cross has once and for all removed the malady. And as we look and trust, we find that therein is our greatest strength. And the courage to stand over an empty tomb. A courage to stand over the grave of someone we grieve the courage to face our own weaknesses and our problems and know that God is always there in his son Jesus. That power is not a weakness, but it is the wisdom of God. Amen.